The scripture for today's sermon comes from 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 31. The word of God speaks to us. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. This is God's word to us. Good job. Yeah, you can give it up. Happy Mother's Day to you moms and you spiritual moms in the room. This church is deeply blessed by so many of you ladies, all of you ladies. Um, I got to meet some new faces today. If you've never uh, met me before, if I've never met you, my name is Dave Adair, one of the pastors here at Frontline Church and have the honor of being lead pastor serving in that role here in Edmond, and that means I get to preach a good chunk of the time. This is our 30th week in 1 Corinthians, so there's that. That's great. Um, I want to pray for you, you pray for me, and then we're going to jump into this beautiful and helpful illustration from the Apostle Paul. So let's pray for one another with one another. I'm so deeply encouraged by this church, Heavenly Father, and all the gifts that are present and all the ways in which I see the, your love displayed and at work in and through everybody here. And we thank you for your word. We thank you for truth. And we thank you for poetry and beauty and illustration and metaphor that helps our hearts and our minds grasp the wonder of who you've called us to be as your church. And so we pray, Spirit of God, that we would help 
that you, we would receive your help to just hear everything that you have for us this afternoon. And that in the midst of all the ways that we can be encouraged, that we, we pray for a holy discontentment, that we would want to grow in, in love and humility and service as one body for one another, that you would be glorified even more. We pray this, Jesus, in your name, God's people said. Amen. So each and every one of us at one point was a zygote. This is one cell, tiny little cell in your mama. And in that, that one microscopic cell, though, was by God's good design, all the information needed to grow into adulthood where you would be 30 trillion different cells. All the information there for you to grow into a developed set of organs and bones and muscles. One body with diversity and yet unity that's amazing. Our bodies truly are like wonders and marvels. I was just reading up about the body this week, and, and it just so displays. Our body are an apologetic just for the wonders of God. You know, our heart, um, the, the, I almost said the rapidity. I don't know if that's a word. The, 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 the speed at which our heart beats, that, that would actually, the heat of that would, would bring us to an end. It would kill us if it wasn't for this sac that encompasses the heart with a special lubricant that enables us to live. Or our bones. That did you know that even in adulthood, that our bones continue to, to respond and add new bone and th they adapt shape to handle new stresses, such as like when a woman becomes pregnant. I learned that in the early 1600s, there were actually scientists and engineers that realized that the, the largest bone in the human body, the human femur, was a, a wonder. It was mathematically precise in its design, and it has this crisscross patterns of fibers that produce ultimate strength with minimum weight. And in light of that beautiful design, it was actually this ingenious design that inspired the architects who built and designed the Eiffel Tower. That it was actually a study of the human femur that led to this wonder. And we can look at the, the engineering wonder that the Eiffel Tower is, but it is actually just a response, a beautiful plagiarism <laughs> of God's good design of a human bone. And as much as we hear about how computers are becoming more and more powerful, that there is no supercomputer that's anything like the gray matter in our skulls, right? That our brains are, are computing with just astonishing power and, and making new connections and pruning old ones that are unused for maximum efficiency. The human brain has more computing power than any computer on Earth by far. King David, who... I don't think knew any of this, <laughs> and yet, like, was, was struck by the wonder of the human body, wrote this in Psalm 139, verse 14. He wrote, I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it well. And the human body, in its beautiful design, didn't just strike King David. It also struck the Apostle Paul, who, in needing to convey the truth of who the church is called to be, grabs hold of the human body as a helpful and powerful metaphor for the church to see so we can understand ourselves. So Paul uses the body in this text as an illustration for the church in Corinth to understand specifically spiritual gifts. 
No, we've, as I've said, have been working through the book of 1 Corinthians verse by verse. And here as we've come to the 12th chapter, we're beginning to to study what it looks like for a church to gather in worship in a helpful way by God's design. And we've come to this portion in the last few weeks that we are studying spiritual gifts. Gifts not given from the Spirit as something separate from God the Spirit, but gifts actually that represent God the Holy Spirit manifesting himself in the church for the good of the church through the church. And yet, as we've spent like 30 weeks looking at what Paul has to say to the church in Corinth, what we've seen again and again and again is so much of what he has to say is corrective because they have an amazing ability to get things wrong that's almost impressive. Case in point, spiritual gifts are, are intended to be the common good, as, verse, or as, as chapter 12 tells us, for the common good, verse 7. They're actually supposed to be a means of the Holy Spirit at work in the church to bring unity and blessing. And yet even something that is a, a gift of God's presence that's intended to bring unity, this church some way <laughs> has the ability to get it backwards and mess it up. And, and they are doing with spiritual gifts what they tend to do with everything, which is use it as a means of division. And some people in this church have a... a view of gifts in their own personal life as part of the body of Christ that they believe makes them less important. And others in this church think their gifts make them more important. And there has to be, I assume, some group in, in the middle that's just caught in, caught in the crossfires of this dysfunction of division over gifts. And so Paul is writing to help this church and we have the blessing of, of having this scripture to help us to understand what it means to be a healthy church as it relates to the spiritual gifts. So we need to see four things this morning. The first thing that Paul wants us to see is every Christian is one body in Christ. Every Christian is a part of one body in Christ. The main point that Paul wants us to see, he comes out of the gate, the first verse, and he says, for just as the body is one and has many members, all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. So Paul's grabbing hold of this amazing metaphor of the human body, saying there's this diversity of parts with different functions, and yet they're all in unity in one and that is a, a powerful picture of what the church is called to be. In verse 13, Paul tells us why this is. What binds us together in unity in all of our differences into one whole? With differing gifts, but for, for one purpose, to glorify God. Verse 13, Paul writes, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, real people in the church in Corinth, with differing ethnicities and, and different stages in life, things that really in, in culture and in that city would have meant deep separation and division. And Paul's saying, no matter who you are or where you've come from, you were baptized into one body and you were made to drink of one spirit. This is what brings about the unity of the church. 
Paul's saying the Holy Spirit's baptism in the life of the Christian, when he says we were all baptized, the Greek word there, baptizo, is, it means just to be, we've all experienced it probably already this morning, to be drenched, to be saturated, to be soaking wet. You go stand outside in that rain for 60 seconds, and that is the picture of what Paul is saying happens in the life of the believer when we are saved, is that we're saturated with the presence and the power and the love of God the Spirit. He goes on to say that, that we're not just soaked with that spirit, but the Holy Spirit is filling the life of the Christian when he says we're all made to drink. That word is potizo. It means to, to be offered a drink to take in, or it also means just to be flooded and swept up. I think of Jesus speaking to the woman at the well in John 4 where he offers her living water so she'll never be thirsty again. He's talking about the power and the presence and the filling of the Spirit. If we all think of like things that actually bring people together in unity, what some people would call cultural uh, centripetal forces, things that, that cause people to group up and be on the same team or be unified, that can be big things like a shared history of a nation or a language or values. It can happen within communities or, or friend groups with a shared purpose or shared interests. But if we spent a year thinking about all the things that unify people and bind them together, and we add them all up. None of that together holds a candle to the, to the burning power of God the Spirit and what he does to bring people together. So what this means for us and what it meant for the, the church in Corinth is despite our differences, whatever they are, ethnicity, Jew or Greek, or place in life, slave or free, Christians have been baptized by the Spirit's power, filled with his presence, and that shared reality has, has brought us together. We're not just saved from our sin and forgiven and given eternal life. Praise be to God, that's true. But we're also saved into one body in unity. John Stott, theologian and pastor, he has a book called Baptism and Fullness, and he writes this. The gift of the Holy Spirit is a universal Christian experience because it's an initial Christian experience. And Paul is saying, hey, if you're in Christ, you have God the Spirit. He's saturated you. He's flooded your life, and he has bound you together with the church. Real people in a real place, in a real time, in unity but that doesn't mean we're all the same. It means there's unity and there's diversity because the second thing we need to see is everyone's gift belongs in the body. Verse 14, Paul writes, for the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not, listen to this, because I am not the hand, I do not belong to the body. That would make, make it, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? You get the sense that Paul loves this metaphor. I love it too. <laughs> but as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. If we were all a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So Paul is saying, hey, unity doesn't mean uniformity. 
Unity doesn't mean we're all the same, but just like the human body, there are different parts. And that's the wonder of the diversity of the church. The unity doesn't bring an end to diversity. It actually relies on a diversity of spiritual gifts to be healthy. And when those gifts are in their uniqueness or operating for the common good of the whole, that is when the body's healthy. That's when the church is healthy. And we need to keep in mind this is an illustration that Paul is specifically using when it comes to spiritual gifts. The body needs a nose and a mouth and an ears and eyes and hands and feet and the 79 organs all working together to contribute to the whole by God's good design. I read an article this week, um, and it just happened, I think, in the last year. I don't know if anybody's seen this, if you've gone to downtown Dallas for, you know, whatever, shopping or business, but there's kind of some mystery, it seems, behind it. But in downtown Dallas one day, there just showed up a 30-foot eyeball, some, like, public art, right? Um, And people were deeply confused. They're like, why is this giant eyeball here, right? This is kind of cool kind of freakish, you know? But this this is the point. Like, some churches can be like this. We could be like this. People engage us, and it's like, that church sees 2020. I don't think it can ever go anywhere, right? Or there's another statue I, I found online that's uh, outside of a cafe, and s- sometimes a church can be like this. You can hear really well, but, like, I don't think you're ever going to be able to say anything. And this is the illustration Paul's using. If the, if the body were all an eye or all an ear or all in anything, the church wouldn't be functional or healthy. It would be freakish and it would be dying. And again, this is about spiritual gifts in the church. The point Paul's making is if everyone was only gifted in one way, the church isn't healthy. The church isn't as it should be. If everyone's an evangelist, that might seem amazing. And, and, and nobody was gifted as a teacher, though. Maybe the church is growing, but as the church grows, everybody stays a spiritual infant because nobody's there to teach them the truth of God's word and raise them up into maturity. If everyone was gifted just as a helper with the gifts of helping, but nobody was gifted with leadership, a church might be incredibly well-meaning and good at serving one another, but would maybe never move forward into the mission that God's calling the church to. If only one gift is present, the church isn't ever healthy. It's always dysfunctional, no matter what that gift is. By God's good design, we rely on one another. We serve one another. We depend on one another. So what this means for us, just like it meant for the early church in Corinth, is that, that we must, if we want to be a healthy church when it comes to the gifts, we must reject the lie that says, I do not belong to the body. And I think one of the things that hinders the church the most when it comes to spiritual gifts is a spiritual gift insecurity. And it just doesn't help you specifically as the member of the body you are if you're suffering from it, but it also hinders the entire body. It's not just an issue that affects the person struggling with it. It it hinders the entire body as a whole. And we all struggle, all of us some of the time, and some of us all the time, with comparing our gifts to others and believing our gifts aren't important. Even if we can't articulate it, we might feel it. Well, I'm only good at administration. What good is that compared to somebody with a, a real gift like teaching? 
And the teacher might say, I'm only gifted at teaching. I mean, that's, that's not important. Think about somebody who can actually prophesy. Or somebody might say, I'm only gifted to help. I wish I was more of an evangelist. I'm not needed in the church. And what this means for us as a church, it's, it's like that moment where you have been sitting on the floor with your kids playing with them, and then you get up and you realize your leg's totally asleep. Or you, you wake up, this happens to me about once a month, and it's like I lost my arm in, in the middle of the night because I see it, but it's, I don't feel it, right? And you try to pick up something, and it's just not responding because it's numbed out. And you try to walk somewhere, and you're kind of like shaking because your leg isn't, you know, awake, and you're trying to pound those nerves back into waking up so you can actually walk. And yet we as a local church are, are numbed out often that way because people are saying to themselves the lie or hearing the lie, I don't belong to the body. And Paul, to any of us who feel that way, is taking us by the shoulders, looking at us in the eye and saying, hey, that's ridiculous. You're essential. Hands can't smell, eyes can't feel. The body needs every gift by God's good design. He says in verse 18, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. And when we struggle with insecurity, really, insecurity with spiritual gifts, really, if if we're just going to name it for what it is, we're looking at God and saying, your design isn't best. I do not belong to the bodies of the first lie that hurts the unity of the church and keeps spiritual gifts from operating, but, but there's another lie. This is the third thing we need to see. Every gift is needed in the body. See if you can hear the lie. It's right here in the first verse, 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again to the head, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. See, that second lie is just the the other side of the coin. One side of it is gift insecurity. The other side is gift pride, where one, one gift says to another, or one person who has a gift says to another person that has a different gift, I have no need of you. And how hurtful and how divisive is that? See, some people were struggling with insecurity. A lot of people were struggling with gift pride, which is a danger for each and every one of us. We're all prone to value our gifts as more important at times or all of the time than other gifts. And sometimes we don't explicitly look at somebody else and say, I have no need of you. But we can just live in such a way that communicates that. I was trying to reflect on my own life, and and as somebody who probably has the primary gift, or one of my primary gifts is teaching, I think of the oftentimes my wife Anna wants to come and talk about something, and, and the gift that I bring to her in that moment is a teaching. I give her three points. They all start with P. It's 20 minutes where she's listening to me, and it's just really annoying, I imagine, right? And in some way, shape, or form in my life, that's gift pride, where I'm like, well, even if I'm not explicitly thinking it, I'm like, really what she needs is teaching. And she she doesn't need teaching in that moment. She might need mercy. Or she might need somebody else with a more fitting gift. (laughs) That's okay. That's really good. 
I've seen entire gifts be like a rallying cry. I've seen groups of people who are part of a church that have a diversity of gifts in healthy ways all gather around their one gift that they value above everything else, and they separate themselves from the body, and then they plant a new church that isn't based on gospel proclamation or, or a, a, a true robust representation of Scripture, but really it's a church that's centered and built on the foundation of a single spiritual gift. And that seems like it's going well for a minute, but when the eye separates from the hand, then all of a sudden there's an eyelash caught in it. What does the eye do without the hand? One part can never say to another, I have no need of you. Even the, the smallest, most hidden part of the body is essential. There's a bone in our ear called the stapes. I have a picture of it. And, and on that fingertip is not one bone. It's actually three bones. And the stapes is the tiniest one towards the tip. It looks like a little... Um, um, Stirrup for a saddle, that's where it gets its name. That bone is a millimeter. And yet, if it's, if it's broken, if it's dysfunctional, not only does the whole body struggle to hear, but the whole body struggles to, to have balance and even walk a straight line. And that's the tiniest bone. And yet, if that tiny millimeter bone is, is not as it should be, the whole body suffers. This is what this means for us. Being a healthy body, a church that really understands itself and how we're designed by God to be interdependent when it comes to spiritual gifts, it, it boils down to one thing. It means we must be a church marked by humility. One part can never say to the other, I have no need of you, because one part in humility must understand that we all rely upon each other. Not going down the road of valuing visible gifts like teaching or leadership over less visible gifts like, gifts like helping or service or, or more seemingly spiritual gifts like tongues or prophecy that are over other gifts that seem more quote-unquote natural like giving or administration. Whole denominations and, and certainly churches have, have gone down this rabbit hole and it leads to nowhere and it leads to division and dysfunction. And Paul's saying, hey, Regardless of what spiritual gifts we have, there's no place for superiority and there's no place for insecurity or pity, self-pity. And he goes on to say, hey, when, when one part of the body suffers, all parts of the body suffer. When one is honored, all rejoice. When my four-year-old falls and he skins his knee, I often don't run and pick him up and ask, is your knee okay? I ask him, are you okay? Because he's wholly suffering. Or if I were to give somebody a compliment and say, hey, you've got a beautiful singing voice, they wouldn't walk away with their throat celebrating and their eyes jealous, saying, well, he didn't compliment my eyes, right? That's not how it works. The whole body's honored. We're one in Christ. Every gift matters, which leads us to our final verse this morning. And the final point, for everyone is gifted in the body. Verse 27 now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. And he asks a series of rhetorical questions. Are all apostles? <laughs> are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Rhetorical answer to all those rhetorical questions is no. But he says this in closing. 
in this passage, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. Paul just plainly states his whole point. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. No one has every gift, but everybody has a gift. And then Paul asks all those questions. Are, you an apo- are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles? Does every, everybody have gifts of healing? Then he says, earnestly desire the higher gifts. See, churches can elevate certain gifts as signs of real spirituality. Some churches believe that, hey, if if you really reach the summit of spiritual maturity, that means you have the the gift of teaching. Or other churches say, hey, if if you're really varsity in your your spiritual maturity, you have the gift of tongues. And Paul's saying, hey, that's not right at all. No gift is common to everyone. That's the whole point of the body. Yet he does seem to say here that some gifts have greater impact than others for the body. That's how the body works. And it doesn't make those parts of the body better. It just means that they have a different function. A body can survive without legs. Nobody would want to, but a body can. But a body can't survive without a liver. That fact doesn't dishonor legs. It just means that legs and livers have a different function in the body. So, with this in mind, Paul lists some of the gifts in an intentional order in verse 28. He says, God God has appointed in the church first apostles. And most commentaries are going to say, hey, there's a a reason for that that isn't just specifically about the, the gift of apostleship in and of itself, but it's a reminder to this church who is in the process, at least many of them, of rejecting Paul's gift of being an apostle and that spiritual gift. He planted this church. He's fighting for the health of this church. And as they're rejecting his spiritual gift of apostleship, they are increasingly getting less and less healthy. And so Paul's saying, hey, first... There's this gift that's a gift to you of a pioneering spiritual father who I am. And it's, it's for your blessing. And this letter bears witness to the blessing that that gift is. He puts prophecy second, which prepares us for an entire study we're going to do later in one sermon on chapter 14. He lists teachers third, which is interesting because I... I think most people that I speak to, maybe because of my role, tend to aspire to this gift more than any others, and uh, we might just all be aspiring to the bronze as it (laughs) relates to to Paul's letter here, but it's a needed gift, but it's probably not the greatest gift. It's the most public, which is weird, so be careful what you wish for. (laughs) Then he lists more seemingly without any order of importance, miracles, healing, helping, administration, various kinds of tongues. And I love that Paul lists these things that seem really spiritual with things things that seem not very spiritual, but they're all intertwined and listed together, and he makes no differentiation. And it's also noteworthy that as we're going to come to see, Paul's going to say, hey, I want you all to speak in tongues in in chapter 14, but he also makes a statement here, I believe, in the way that he communicates these gifts because this church seemed to be obsessed with the gift of tongues and lifting that gift up above others, and Paul is intentionally here listing it last. And so Paul ends with this charge to earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I think higher likely means here the gifts that that build up the church the most. 
And he's going to circle back to a similar statement in the first verse of chapter 14 where he's going to plainly say, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, period. And so why should we earnestly desire the spiritual gifts? Well, as chapter 12, verse 7 tells us, because they're for the common good, because simply it's the Spirit at work in us and through us so we can love each other in power and impact and effectiveness. And so that means that we ought to be familiar with all the spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12 lists 10. Romans 12 and Ephesians chapter 4 list more. There's, there's likely a total of 20 spiritual gifts in Scripture. And yet I want to make the point that that doesn't mean that's all of the spiritual gifts. I don't think that's an exhaustive list, and many theologians are going to say that. Von Roberts, in his, books, in his book, Authentic Church, he writes this. Speaking of 1 Corinthians 12, he says, there are three other lists of the gifts of the of gifts in the New Testament, and it is striking that all of them differ from the others. Ten gifts are mentioned in this chapter and a further ten elsewhere in the New Testament, but there is no reason to believe that there are only 20 gifts in all. Music and hospitality, for example, may not be described explicitly as spiritual gifts, but they surely belong to the same category as does any means by which God ministers his grace through a believer to another Christian to build them up. So I was just reflecting on the life of our church this week and thinking, man, I, I feel that I've experienced the spiritual gift of creativity before, that there are people who are artists and songwriters who not in their own gifts and own talents alone, but actually inspired by the Holy Spirit. I've got friends who describe waking up with worship songs from a dream. And we sing some of those songs. I believe that's the Holy Spirit giving them a gift for the church to build each other up. Or how about this? I experience this often. Somebody with perhaps the spiritual gift of peacemaking. Where people are divided and they're arguing or there's hurt between them. And someone empowered by the Spirit can come as a peacemaker and bring reconciliation and forgiveness and unity. In Scripture, we have gifts like prophecy and service, teaching, exhortation, giving, leadership, mercy, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, faith, gifts of healings, miracles, tongues, the interpretations of tongues, distinguishing between spirits, apostleship, shepherding, helps, administration, which, by the way, the Greek word for that, because I think it's like the least sought-after gift. Everybody's like, I think I have the gift of administration, you know, kind of apologetically. That Greek word actually is the same word for the captain of a ship. How awesome is that? We can be like, oh, instead of, oh, captain, oh, captain, we can say, oh, administrator, my administrator. Like, thank you for actually making things happen. You're a gift to the church. And lastly, if I didn't say it, the gift of, certainly not least, the gift of evangelism. And so we ought to be aware of these gifts. As homework, we should study 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12 and Ephesians 4 and, and prayerfully review these gifts. But I think the danger is that if we go off by ourselves and reflect and try to ascertain, hey, what gifts do I have alone, we're missing out on something really crucial, which is the gifts by nature are for unity. They happen in communion. And we live in this culture that's obsessed with autonomy and independence. And if we value above all things autonomy and independence, we're never going to actually know our spiritual gifts nor actually live out God's will to give our gifts to one another for the common good. And so I think the best way 
to begin to discern what our spiritual gifts are or for those who are closest to us in gospel community to speak into our lives and give us some encouragement as, as to the gifts we have. I, I remember it vividly that I believe it was 2007. Anna and I had the first Frontline Edmond community group, and somebody preached on spiritual gifts that year, and we were sitting around talking about it, and we were doing the thing where we go around and we say what our gifts are. And it was a huge group. It was entirely too big. But it finally came to me, and I, I just boldly and confidently told everybody about how I have the gift of mercy. And Anna, my newlywed wife, began to laugh aloud. <laughs> it's like, do you have something to share with the group? She said, yes, you do not have the gift of mercy. <laughs> we should all lay hands on you and pray that you get that gift, but you ain't got it. And then she was able to share, like, I think you do have these gifts that aren't mercy, but they're helpful too. And she was 100% right. I was not self-aware to be able to, like, share. I don't know why. I think I've grown a little bit, but that's still not, like, my top five, right? And we all tend to do that, and that's why... Community is so helpful because we can encourage one another, bless one another, and help one another see each other by speaking into the gifts that we do have. And another way that we find our gifts is simply seeking to serve each other. To look around and see who's in need and pray that God empowers us for that need. I'll give Pastor Sam Storms the final word in an article he wrote about spiritual gifts. He says this. The New Testament nowhere gives us explicit guidance on how to identify or discover our spiritual gifts. Whereas many have been helped by taking a spiritual gifts inventory test, my recommendation is that Christians stop indulging in introspective navel-gazing and simply step out and begin to love and serve others in concrete acts of ministry. In doing so, I am confident your gift will find you. He goes on to say, open your eyes and look for those who are weeping. Ask the Spirit to guide your steps to those who are weak, afflicted, and destitute. As, as, and as you go, listen for the voice of God to grant you a prophetic word that will encourage and console the suffering. Take your hands out of your pockets and lay them on the sick, beseeching the Lord of mercy for a gift of healing. Look for those in financial straits and give to them generously. Identify the despairing and speak words of encouragement. When people are drifting, open your Bibles and teach them truth. Identify those who are unable to do long overdue yard work or those, garo those whose garages desperately need deliverance from piles of clutter or perhaps an elderly widow who simply needs someone to do their laundry and fold and put away their clothes. You may well discover in the midst of your efforts a glorious joy in serving and showing mercy that erupted in your heart. Just move towards others and seek to serve them. And as Pastor Steve said, God is so faithful to give the gift that's needed in the moment. And in doing so, we get to discover how God is using us for the common good as we seek to, in humility and love, serve one another. Let's stand and pray. Heavenly Father, we stop and we remember just how generous you are. And as one of the pastors of this church, in, in this moment I stand here and I'm so grateful for the reality of 
the heart of this text that is alive and well and on the move in this congregation. And so I, I want to come on behalf of all of us and, and just begin with prayers of gratitude. Spirit of God, how, how you are on the move through us. Working through us for the good of one another. And with, with that gratitude in our hearts, we know that, that Jesus, what you said is true, that we have a good father who loves to give us what we need. And you, you said that specifically about God the Spirit. And so in the midst of our gratitude, we also say we want more, knowing that, that you're generous with giving gifts. You're generous with God the Spirit, your presence. So we, we pray for more, more gifts at work in this church. More of your presence, Spirit of God, in and through us. We pray that community groups would just be stopped in their tracks in the gratitude of Holy Spirit, your work in and through them. And we pray in the midst of thanking you for the, the, the body that is here and healthy and working, we pray for greater growth and health as the body of Christ that we would celebrate our diversity and celebrate our unity and in humility and love serve each other and love the city for your glory. We pray this, Jesus, in your name, God's people said, amen. If you're here this morning and you're just exploring Christianity or wanting to hear about Jesus and, and what the faith, the Christian faith is all about, one of the beautiful things about spiritual gifts is that in the original language of, of Scripture in Greek, that they're called gifts of grace, meaning they truly are gifts. They're not something that we earn. They're something freely given, given by God that, that we don't deserve, but, but it's, it's just given to us because God's so great, not because we're great. And that's true about the entirety of the Christian faith. We don't earn our way into relationship with God because we do works or we work on our own righteousness and we impress Him. Each and every Christian in this room, our story is that we rejected God and we ran from God, but in his love, he pursued us and gave us a salvation and a love and a relationship with him that we didn't deserve because he's awesome, not because we're awesome. And so the reality of this moment is that, that that God of grace, he loves you, he's pursuing you. He Jesus died on the cross and rose again not for you to earn anything, but to do a work for you so you could just receive it as the free gift of grace that it is, salvation. If you want to put your faith in Jesus as, as your king, as your Lord, as your savior, you're going to have some friends up here in, in a moment that would love to pray with you. There's going to be some prayers up here on the screen that we would invite you to reflect upon. But if you're a Christian and you've been baptized, we want to invite you to come to the table and remember specifically this morning, this afternoon, the, the table is a place that we proclaim the goodness of Jesus, and it's also a place that we remember our unity in Jesus. Paul wrote this to the church in Corinth. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Meaning that when you come and you take this bread, and you taste it, and you eat it, 
You're proclaiming the goodness of the free gift of Jesus' life, his body given for us, but that gift actually saves us from our sin into the body of Christ, the church. And when you drink the juice or the wine, we're celebrating and honoring and remembering Christ's blood shed for us, but that blood has, has bought our freedom, but also it's bound us together as one body in Christ. And so especially today, I would charge you as one of the pastors here not to receive this bread and wine alone, but to gather together in groups, pray for one another, celebrate the sacrifice of Jesus, and celebrate the unity that he bought on our behalf. So when you're ready, you can come.